My name's Dylan. I get to serve here as a young adult director. It is a joy to get to be here um, with you all this morning. Um, we're, uh, uh, let me see, before we start, um, I think, um, yeah, I'm excited to get into the Word, but I think we need to take some time to do something else before that. I think as a church, we don't get to um, come seclude ourselves into four walls um, and just smile and grin at each other and ignore the um, darkness and the pain and the brokenness that we're experiencing um, in our nation. Um, one, uh, what I'm thinking of now is the 215 mass shootings that we've had um, just in this year alone, and particularly the um, murder of 19 toddlers in Uvalde, Texas last week. So uh, I want to invite you guys just for a moment um, to sit in a moment of prayer and mourning um, with our uh, fellow men and women. Um, Pray, um, whatever you feel, pray for comfort for the families. Um, But mostly, let's just sit and pray. Um, Think about this brokenness and mourn together. Just take a moment to do that with me. Lord, we mourn with you over the needless loss of life. Would you give us, your church, um, the clarity and the boldness and bravery to step out and to create the peace in our communities and cultures um, that you invite us into as we wait for the fullness of peace in days to come. We long for and look forward to the day where your justice and mercy will fall like rain, where you will wipe every tear from every eye. Um, Let those days inform these days. Um, Would you be a great comfort to the families and the communities involved, and would you move us to love our neighbor? We love you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, thank you for going there with me for a moment. This summer we're in the book of Ephesians. Um, A lot of times we like to address um, certain topics in our lives, but Ephesians is one of those books that covers Uh, a huge gamut of the things we experience in the Christian life. This is a letter written by Paul, probably between 62 to 65 A.D. And this is, unlike some of his other letters to churches, this is not like a clear, distinct correction of one problem. Not to say that the Ephesians didn't have any problems, but this is more reflective on what Christ has done and what it means for this church. Um, As I was reading this this week, I mean, I had to like, I read this thing like, and had this thing read to me like 50 times to get it in my bones. And so we're going to start a little differently. We're going to read it all the way together. And then, I mean, just ho- in hopes that the repetition um, will help it to stick for us. So if you have your Bible, if you have a phone Bible, um, if you want to follow along the screens, we're going to read together. Um, well, you don't have to read loud, but we're going to read Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming 
that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Uh, pray with me again as we enter the text. Um, Lord Jesus, we know you love by your spirit to illuminate and highlight texts for your people, make them understandable and applicable. We pray that you would do that now in us and for us, for your glory. Amen. So this, um, this letter, well, I think this chunk is wildly important for us today, is what it says about the ministry. And as we get into it, we'll see the, uh, how to think about ministry, how to correct um, ministry. But I think for most of us, when we think of ministry, um, our hearts don't really light up. We're not really excited. We don't, maybe don't know what we're talking about. When we think of ministry, we think about um, the professional Christian thing that I'm doing right now, and we seldom apply it to our lives. And I think here, Paul gives us a clear, beautiful picture of how to step into the ministry of the gospel, what that means for each of us. And so the, um, the tagline, the phrase that we're going to be exploring is this progression, is that the, um, I think we got up here, yes, the revealed mystery of God leads us to the ministry of God by his grace and through his church. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. This is what we're doing today. It's seeing how the revealed mystery of God leads us to the ministry of God by his grace and through his church. We'll start in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. So he is writing this. Um, it's kind of striking. Uh, maybe taking some power from Rome because he is writing this from a Roman jail cell. So it's like, my brother in Christ, you, um, you're a prisoner of Rome, right? And he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So he's saying, all of my whims, all of my actions, all my thoughts, um, they belong to Christ and no one else. On behalf of you Gentiles. And so he is saying, and he's right. He's saying, I'm in jail for you guys. I'm in jail for you guys. And the reason this is true is he got arrested for taking a guy from the church of Ephesians into the temple, got accused of taking him too far, farther than the Gentiles were allowed to go. Gentiles meaning non-Jews. Um, he didn't do that, um, but was accused of that. And that's why he's in prison and for preaching the gospel of the Gentiles. So he's very right in saying, I'm here for you. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship 
of God's grace that was given to me for you. And so if you see there's a hyphen between verse 1 and verse 2, that is because he's starting a prayer in verse 1 that he won't pick back up till verse 14. We know that because he, he starts with the same words uh, again in verse 14. So this is um, kind of like, this, uh, this is what I call like a, a holy rabbit trail. This is, and we as a church uniquely have a context for this because we have a pastor, a lead pastor, who by his own admission will just, oh, bird, will just chase rabbit trails. So we say, okay, yeah, I can, I can, I can follow you where you're starting to pray. Like, oh, wait, 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 one other thing, one other thing. So this is what we have, a holy rabbit trail. And he's saying, I'm assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've written briefly. Um, so this mystery, I was, um, I'll tell you a story about um, childhood, a tradition that we had. Um, every Christmas, um, what we would do is for the, for like the biggest gift, like the, you know, like the thing that you put on the Christmas list, that's like the thing you hope you get, for that thing, um, my parents would give us a scavenger hunt. And so every Christmas, we would have this scavenger hunt for like over 20 years. We, they're, like, they're like over 20 cell phone videos of like every year just us running around on this scavenger hunt. And the thing about this scavenger hunt, um, it was so special to us um, that we even loved the same clues in the same hiding places every single year. Like my mom, like so much, my mom would keep the post-it notes that were the clues of where to go next. And so every year we're running to the tree. We're getting out of the snowflake decoration, a clue that leads us to the mailbox. We're getting out of the mailbox, a clue that leads us to the trailer. We're getting out of the trailer, uh, a clue that leads us to the barn. And then the gift is in the barn. And this was like, you know, at some point I'm like, we're like, okay, I'm 25. I can't be running around in my jammies anymore. Um, and so this is, this is something, like, it, it died, like, a little too late. Like, it died, like, last year was, like, the, like when we stopped doing it. Um, but this, uh, this is a story where we had this tradition, and it mostly became about the tradition at that point. There was no mystery involved. At first, the mystery of, like, where is this thing going to be is what was driving us. Um, and then to, towards the end, we're like, well, you know, we were, like, we didn't really um, have to, like, look at the notes anymore. We just run to the tree, run to the mailbox, run to the trailer, run. Like, we weren't, we weren't reading this stuff anymore, right? And so this is, I think, a, a short parable, a short story of how the mystery leads to the mission, of how the, the, the idea of, huh, what is going to happen? This mystery leads us to do the things we do. I think this is in part the progression that Paul starts here. It's how the, the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've written briefly. And this, this revelation, uh, I don't know how much you know about Paul's testimony, but he was, a pers- he was a Jewish persecutor of the church. On his way to Damascus, on the road, Jesus reveals himself in glorious, blinding light. Blinding, like, it blinded Paul. And he, he revealed to him, um, as he restored him, there was a dude named Ananias in Damascus. And he said, Ananias, there's a guy named Saul. You need to go pray for him to receive his sight. And Ananias says, I know who Saul is. And I know why he came here. And the Lord said, hey, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And so from the get-go, this is the revelation, the, the, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. This is the revelation. Verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And so when you read this, this is the expectation that when a church gets a letter, they're going to read it just like we're doing right now. They're going to read the whole thing all the way through. 
But this is what they're doing. He's saying, when you read this, you can perceive. He's saying, the proof is in the pudding. You can perceive my in- insight into the mystery of the Christ. If it's there, you'll be able to perceive it. Which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So there's this mystery that was not made known and is now made known. That's a blast. That's a, that's a fun thing, right? And so when he says this mystery that has not been known, it is, uh, I mean, we're going to get the spoiler alert right here, so might as well just do it. Verse 6. <clears throat> Here's the mystery. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promised in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so this mystery, it was hinted at throughout, I mean, even Genesis 12. Abraham's told, hey, through you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Um, so there's always this orientation, this future promise. Um, yes, it's to Israel. Yes, Israel has the presence and the promises of God. But someday, sometime, everyone else is going to get it. There's specific prophecies about the inclusion of the Gentiles. But what he's saying is um, nobody knew it was going to go down like this. Nobody knew it was going to go down like this. The fullness, I mean, this verse 6, the mystery. The Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Heirs, that means they're sons and daughters. Members of the same body, means they're thumbs and pinkies. And partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So all the promises of God that were for the nation of Israel, now the Gentiles get. I think of, uh, so I have, a, I have a dinner table that fits six chairs, and I love to fit 10 people at my dinner table that fit six chairs. Um, so we just like throw, like we pull in uh, like a, a fold-out chair that fits on the corner, right? And so that's the way I think of the Gentiles for all of history until this point. That's the way they're sitting at the table of the Lord. Is it is the Jews' table, and the Gentiles pull up to the corner, and um, they're at the Jews' table, right? And so there's not really space for them, but hey, we can, we can crowd in, and we can, we can get the corner, right? And now... If, uh, if anyone knows those tables that have, I don't know why we call them the, 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 the leafs. We can just call them like extra table, right? But they're called like, they're called the leafs of the table. You pull apart the table and you put it and it extends the table. That is what the Gentiles now get. Is there is a place for them at the table. It's not, they're not borrowing someone else's table. There's a seat for them at God's table, full heirs. That is the change. That is the mystery that has been revealed in Christ through Paul for the Gentiles. Everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. And for most of us, we need this um, because most of us are not Jewish. Um, so this promise is a personal one for us. This is a personal one for us. We, we have this, what's happening, I mean, especially in Ephesians 2 as we've been covering, we have the Jews who were near, and they need Jesus to get to God. We have the Gentiles, us, most of us, who were far off, and we need Jesus to get to God. And this is the mystery of the gospel. So this is our, our first point on our way, the, the revealed mystery of God that we get to leads to the ministry through the church by grace. This mystery, Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. And so this 
um, I mean, we'll look back at verse 2. The, we have this repetition of the God's grace, right? He, he was made a steward of God's grace. Now there's this gift of God's grace. And there's this really, really important connection that I want to make. This is, so you know, I'm not just like, mystery leads to ministry. You know, like, oh, it just sounds good. It is here. Verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, which is the mystery. So this is the mystery. So there's this gift of God's grace, and it is the mystery in verse 2. Then, in verse 7, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. So first, God's grace is described as this revelation of the mystery of Jesus. And now, verse 7, it is the ministry to the Gentiles that is described as this gift of God's grace. And I think this is radically different from how most of us think about ministry. I think there are two ways, two ways we most often think about ministry. One is, I think this, this is most of us, um, which is ministry is just like the cherry and whipped cream on top of my salvation. The real thing that's happening is I get to go to heaven later, right? And if I ever get around to talking about Jesus, if I ever get around to sharing the gospel with my coworker, if I ever get around to inviting my neighbor into my home, if I ever get around for praying and seeking and saving the lost the way Jesus did, that's all well and good. That's not really core to my definition of Christianity. I think that's the way most of us might see ministry. It's just kind of like the, the add-on for, like the, for, the, for the super spiritual, but not a necessity for what it means to be a Christian. Or others of us, if we get this, if we see, okay, I know that I have the, this mystery of Jesus has been revealed to me by the grace of God, and that means something for me. That means maybe everything for me. I think we can fall into the opposite trap, which is begrudging obligation. And so ministry becomes a box to be checked. We don't have much vision. We don't have much power. We don't have much joy. We aren't seeing much fruit happen. Um, We're just checking a box. This is a thing that I know I need to do, so I need to do it, and I need to make sure others see me doing it. But Paul sees ministry in an altogether way. The gift of grace. One, it's a gift, which means it's, I mean, like it's good. I guess not all gifts are good, but this one, it's clearly, it's a good one. It's a good one. It's a gift, and it's a gift of grace. And so for us, grace we usually think about as just the vehicle for salvation, right? I get grace, I get my sins forgiven, I'm in good standing with God. This, this gift of grace, it was grace that he gets to partake in the ministry of God, Right? It is the gift of grace that he gets to do the ministry to the Gentiles. So Paul is not only blown away by the fact that the Gentiles are grafted in, that he receives the the promises of God and gets to take them to other people, but he's blown away that he gets to be one of the vehicles of this gospel. It is a gift of grace for Paul. It is crazy. It, it, It is grace to him that he gets to be one of the arbiters of God's reconciliation to the world. That is not uh, a side mission for Paul. That is not uh, a begrudging thing. That is a gift of grace. And here in, in these following verses, I think we get a pretty good definition of what ministry is and why it's, exciting. it's, an, it's an exciting gift of grace. 
verse, verses 8 through 10. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So I see three things that ministry is. One is lowliness. Two, it's preaching the gospel. And three, it's bringing light to the darkness. It's lowliness. It's preaching the gospel. It's bringing light to darkness. I um, Of this ministry... Um, there's this prolific preacher named Charles Spurgeon who's preaching in the, in the 19th century. Um, so I'm going to let him say the hard stuff, and that way you can be mad at that guy instead of me. But here's what Spurgeon says. He says, Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ, or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. It cannot be. This, the revelation of the mystery of Christ ought to lead us to the ministry of Christ. I think of this, the, this um, gift of grace and the effect it should have on us, especially when I'm, when I'm talking about the gospel, when we're out evangelizing. This is an illustration I'll use of, say, we take Elon Musk, and we'll, we'll say, okay, Elon Musk is on his deathbed, and he says, hey, you random person in Tallahassee, Florida, I'm giving you the kingdom. I'm giving you everything. You get Tesla, you get SpaceX, you get Mars, you get maybe Twitter. Like, you, you get it all, right? You, you cannot buy that from Elon Musk. You, you, no one can, right? You can't pay for that. That is a gift. You just have to receive that. You just have to receive that. But what does that gift do to your life? That changes everything. You now have the most stressful job in the world. That gift changes everything. This is the gift of grace that we receive from Jesus. It is the sort of gift that changes everything. And that's what Spurgeon's hinting at. It cannot be that we have a high appreciation for Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. So this mystery revealed leads to the ministry. And here's what ministry is to Paul. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. He's the very least. So for him, this is loneliness. He says elsewhere, um, I'm the least of the apostles, which that's still saying something, that, but that means, hey, I'm ranked number 13 out of a couple thousands. You know, that's still like the least of the apostles. That's number 13. Here he says, the least of all the saints. Bottom of the totem pole. Stack everybody up, up, I'm down there. He needed grace. He needed grace. He knows his past. He says, I, you know, it's like, it's, it, it would actually be easy, honestly, to place him as bottom of the apostles. Like, he was killing them. None of the other apostles were killing Christians. No one else was. Paul was. And he says, I'm the least of all the saints. That means everyone. Everyone who, everyone who receives the promises of God through the gospel of Jesus, I'm the bottom. This moves us first to humility. Like the, the quicker I realize that I'm just a, a floppy-haired, scruffy dude who happens to have a mic pack on right now, the better off I'll be. 
And the quicker you realize you were just, however you look, with however you have, the better off you'll be. That if I'm the lowest, if I'm the bottom of the totem pole, I moved in humility to anyone around me. If I'm the least, I can go to the least of these. The poor, the outcasts, the marginalized, the unintelligent, anyone, anyone. If I'm the bottom, I just look to my left and right, and I serve. If you're, if you're here and you're, if you've been out of the church for a while or you, 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 maybe you're here for the first time, wouldn't this change your perception of Christians? I would say most of us have probably been hurt by Christians who didn't take this posture, who used their Christianity as leverage to elevate themselves instead of as a race to the bottom to be the lowliest, to serve the lowliest. Wouldn't this, if everyone, if the whole church got this, wouldn't that change your perception of other Christians? Ministry is lowliness. Next, what is ministry? And the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So just preaching the gospel. This word, the, to preach, is evangelizo. That's the word we get for evangelism. Preaching the gospel, the unsearchable riches of Christ. This word unsearchable, it's, uh, it does not exist anywhere else except in the Greek Bible. So it's as if Paul said, i got to figure out a word to talk about the riches of Christ to make sure people know they're inexhaustible, they're incalculable, they're untraceable is really the sense. It kind of gets to the sense of like footprints. It's like gone without a trace, like I see six footprints and then gone. Like I can't track this down. That is the riches of Jesus. So that means for us that God is not boring. God is not boring. He has unsearchable riches. I pulled a punch here. Here's a, uh, my friend uh, stole this from someone who stole it from someone. But here's the phrase. The phrase is actually, <clears throat> God's not boring, you're boring. <laughs> God's not boring, you're boring. He has unsearchable riches. That means it's, there's untraceable attributes of Jesus for the saints who are going to be singing about him forever. And we'll never get to them. When we've been there 10,000 years, we'll have no less days to sing his praise than when we first began. We'll have no more topics to sing of the unsearchable riches of Jesus when we're 10,000 years in. That is what we have. That is what we preach, what Jesus has done. Took those far away, brought them near by his grace. Ministry is lowliness. It's preaching the gospel, the unsearchable riches of Christ. In verse 9, to bring light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God? So we're going to flip back um, to Acts 26. And so this is basically Paul giving his testimony on trial. He's defending himself before Agrippa, um, the king of Israel. God bless you. Um, And here's what he says. We're going to start Acts 26, verse 15. This is Paul speaking. Of his, remember, Damascus Road, miraculous revelation of Jesus. And I asked, and I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you, from your people, which are the Jews, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles 
to whom I am sending you. This is the part, verse 18. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So this was Paul's conversion story, and he never forgot it. He never forgot it. That he would bring light to all people through Jesus. That they would be included. So if you have a, a wonder of what ministry ought to be for you, it is taking, is taking the heart of lowliness, it's preaching the gospel, and it's bringing light to darkness. This is in with what, what your gifting is, in whatever job you have, with whatever talents you have, with whatever people you have, this is ministry. This is what ministry is. This is what we're invited into by grace. We've got to good sow that here. Moving on through verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And so this manifold wisdom of God, manifold mean multifaceted like a diamond or multicolored like Joseph's coat of many colors. This is the wisdom of God that is the church. It's multicultural, multi-ethnic, multicolored. This is the church. This is how God is revealing his plan. And who's he revealing it to? The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So, this is to say that the angels and the demons, I'm sorry, we're getting spiritual. It's church, it's church Sunday morning, so we're going get to get, get to the spiritual realm for a moment. There's angels and demons looking onto the church. And the angels are rejoicing and the demons are trembling because they both know that Jesus won the decisive victory over the evil powers, over death and dying. Jesus won. And they know that because they see that he has purchased a people for himself. And the church then becomes God's sermon, not only to the watching world, but to the cosmos. Isn't that wild? Isn't that wild? That we, the church, become God's sermon. Through his revealing his mystery, through his grace, partake in his ministry. We are the church. We're the church. We're going to finish up here. Verses 11 through 13. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So this eternal purpose, that means... Um, Upon Paul's conversion, when he's saying you're going to take light to the darkness, I'm going to show you how much you're going to suffer from me. This was the plan not only from Paul's conversion, but from all eternity. This was the plan. This was the purpose. And in Jesus, now we have boldness and access with confidence to our faith in him. Does that feel like what your spirituality is like? Boldness and access in faith? I hope so. I hope so. But if not, 
here's what might be the thing. As we see, the, the twine that ties this all together is grace. It is the gift of God's grace. I think if we, if we leave here and we get, okay, you get the mystery of God, which is the gospel. Um, and then you go into the ministry. You preach the gospel to people. And you are the church. If we get that, man, that would be hollow. If we miss the grace aspect, if, I just, if we just get, oh, yeah, um, the gospel means I got to do something, and I come to church on Sundays, and we miss grace, maybe we can do that for a time. Maybe we can do that for a lifetime. But that's not the way we're meant to trudge on as a church. That is God's gift of grace. And so I think that the thought here is how hard is grace for you to receive? How hard is, is God's unmerited favor and blessing, this thing you can't earn? How hard is that for you to receive? And if it feels easy for you to receive, how much do you care about it? Does it mean anything to you? I, th- I was meeting in the last couple of weeks with an older, wiser brother, and he was counseling me. And I have a problem with this. I have a problem with grace. I, I carry a ton of guilt around with me. I never feel like I can do enough. I keep myself overly busy. Just trying to keep going. Just trying to keep going. That's what ministry is. And that's my autopilot ministry setting. Is I just got to do. I just got to do. I just got to do. I got to check the box. And he said, man, I'm going to send you six books on grace. Just read them until you believe it. Read them until you believe it. And maybe you're in that boat with me. Maybe you're in that boat with me. We just got to read about grace until we get it and we believe it. And so next week and the, the coming weeks, Ephesians 4 is when we get really instructive about what ministry is. But here today, we're just going to get the heart. We're just going to get the heart behind the ministry, which is having received grace. Does this blow you away? Do you get to step into God's plan for drawing all people, all things to himself? If not, we might have a grace problem. You might have this grace problem with me. So I've got some questions, some thoughts as we go. Don't miss this. Do you have a hard time believing that you're a member of the family of God? You're a co-heir. That you get God. You get Jesus. This is our starting place. Our starting place is that I get something I didn't deserve. I get something I didn't deserve. And that changes how we think about God and how we think about others. If the mystery of the gospel doesn't hit us, if the ministry of the gospel doesn't matter to us, and if being a living testimony of Christ as one body of the church doesn't excite us, we have a grace problem. And so here are questions. You can um, contemplate them, carry them with you, write them down if you like. But here are the questions that I think should weigh on us as we consider what is the missing, what is the kink in the hose right now? For me, receiving Christ's grace and letting all of my life, every pocket of my heart, be changed by it. One, are you swept away by the grace of Christ given to you? Are you swept away by this grace? By the unsearchability of his riches bestowed to you? Do you feel you have boldness and access? This is right near the end. Do you feel you have boldness and access to God through Jesus? Do you feel this boldness and access? 
Are you moved by grace, first to humility, then to empowered ministry? Does his grace move you, first to humility, and then to empowered ministry? If not, then why not? Why not? Why aren't we people moved by grace? Why am I not a person moved by grace? These are the reminders we need. This is why we gather. You guys pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the grace given us. May it never grow stale. Would you give us reminders of your grace every day as we dwell on your word, as we seek you in prayer, as we partake in the body that is your church. Would you give us reminders of grace that your mystery of the gospel, that we have a seat at the table as your family, let that not be boring to us, Lord. Let that not be boring to us. Would you excite us by your grace, move us into your ministry, that all things are because I have been so loved, so accepted, so received by Christ Jesus, that then I do X. Give us this heart of grace. Make us able to receive it. Make us able to give it. We love you, Jesus. Amen.